God is good. All the time. time. Amen. This is great music, great worship today. I'm grateful for BRH. Thank you for leading us today. Uh, My my college roommates were in BRH when I was a young pastor in uh, my sophomore year, and BRH came to this little church, and I think there were as many of them as there were in the congregation that day, and I'm grateful for the continuing ministry. It's it's good to see uh, Wes and, and Brandel and Lindsay home as well. So grateful for this group. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. C.S. Lewis wrote those words about heaven. I wonder, do you believe in heaven? Statistics say recent survey of AARP members that people over the age of 50 believe in heaven more and more as the years go by. I suppose as we get closer to that uh, possibility, we give more consideration to these things. And of those who believe in heaven, 47% say it's a sort of state of being rather than a place. 40% say no It's an actual place. So we spend a lot of time wondering, what will heaven be like? One friend of mine says, there has to be golf there. If there's not golf there, it wouldn't be heaven for me. And others imagine, as we do, beautiful music, as we have heard this morning, and as we hear when we sing together in worship. I'd like to ask a different question this morning. Not the question, what will heaven be like? But rather, what will we be like in heaven? We've been thinking about God's great plan of salvation and being justified and last week sanctified. And today, I'd like to think with you about what it means to be glorified. Would you open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25. Let's think together about our hope for a glorious future. Romans 8, verse 18. I understand this is one of the mountain peaks of Scripture And I want us to hear these words together. Let's stand together as we read God's word and share in his word as he speaks to us. Paul writes in Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You may be seated. In this great eighth chapter of the book of Romans, after Paul tells us that God's resurrection spirit is at work in us and that... We uh, suffer with Christ here, but if we suffer with Him, we will be 
joint heirs with him of his glory in heaven. He comes to this place where he says, I've been calculating. That's the word. I reckon. I consider. The Greek word legizomai. I, I've been calculating. And as far as I can tell, Paul says, the suffering of this time is not even on the same level to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. And immediately something within us says, wait a minute, my suffering is real. I don't want anybody to diminish my suffering, but I want you to see he's not diminishing our suffering. He's magnifying the glory. And he's saying, if you think it's bad here, and sometimes it is really bad here, I want you to know, he says, just how great it will be in heaven to be with God forever And what he describes here is very different from the sort of common imagination in our culture. One of the things about our world is that we've sort of picked up all kinds of ideas from all kinds of different religions. So it's important to hear what he's saying. He says that we will receive new bodies, that we will be glorified. He goes on to say in verse 30, from God's perspective, the moment that you were justified after he called you and you answered his call and received him as Savior, from that moment, from God's point of view, not only were you justified, past tense, but he says you were already glorified. You say, well, I don't see it. And of course, we can't see yet what that is. But the point is, from God's perspective, it's a fait accompli. It's an accomplished fact. It's already happened from God's perspective. You are guaranteed, foreordained and predestined as a child of God to become like the Son of God, to be conformed perfectly to His image. Our sufferings here are preparing us for that. But the day will come, he says, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be like Him. We will be completely conformed. And the good work that God has begun in us will be brought to glorious fulfillment and completion when we see Jesus face to face. Now, in this world, we have lots of reasons to groan, he says. Not only do we groan, he says, the whole world groans. But in this world where we groan, won't it be glory when by grace our groaning gives way to God's glorious Future. Think about our groaning for a a moment as he talks in verse 18 about our present sufferings. And he's been talking about that suffering and we are fully aware of suffering. He says in verse 23, it just causes us to groan again in second Corinthians chapter five. He says we groan because we want these tents these temporary bodies in which we live in, to be exchanged, he says, for real buildings, for much better bodies. And so in this world we are subject, he says, to suffering and to difficulty. And no matter how long we live or how hard we try, the truth is our birth certificates come with sort of expiration dates on them don't they? We may live well. We may live long. A friend of mine told me last night that his grandmother in Alabama is 110 years old, born in 1897. That's very impressive. I read this week about a man named Tomoko Tanabe, who lives in Japan, who is 112 years old. And they said to him, how did you do it? That's what they always ask. How did you do it? He said, well, I haven't been drinking alcohol. I do not, I do not smoke cigarettes. And I drink a glass of milk every day. But he said, here's the real secret. I just don't want to die. Well, see, I think it takes more than that. Because if that were the criterion, I think a lot of us would live a lot longer. All of us just don't want 
to die. In fact, we go to, to great extremes to get to that point. I was thinking about these three men who were talking and their conversation moved to a rather morbid subject. They said, well, when you're lying there in the casket and your friends are walking by, what do you want them to say about you? And one guy said, I want them to remember me as a great humanitarian. That I did a lot of good for the world. And the other one said, no, it's about family. I want them to remember me as a great husband and a great father. And the third guy said, no, that's not it. I want them to look at me in the casket and say, Look, he's moving. He's not dead after all. That's what I really want. Well, that's sort of the way we feel about it. We'd rather not deal with that subject. And so they say that last year, the anti-aging industry in the United States, people spent $56 billion, with a B dollars trying to live longer with supplements and, and creams and human growth hormone. And they say that it will make you smarter and look better and live longer. But the jury's really not in on all of that. And at the end of the day, my fear about all that is, what if you exercise and do all the right things? And you remember when I was a kid in the 60s, I'd see Jack LaLanne on the television exercising. And now here we are in 2008, and I see him on the television exercising. And it's kind of scary. I don't want to look like that forever. I'm not taking anything away from Jack, I'm just saying, it's got to be better than that for me. He says, no, in this life we will groan, we suffer. And not only do we groan, he says, look in verse 19, the whole creation is groaning. Why? Because it's been subjected to frustration, but the frustration is to bring us to the place of hope. When we get fed up with the pain and the suffering and the sorrow of this world, then perhaps when we're fed up, we will look up and see that there is a God who has a better way and a better plan and a better purpose. And we look around our world and we see, in, in fact, that the creation is groaning. There are all kinds of signs that the world has all kinds of problems. And many of those problems are caused by our own choices, by our own sin. I think Christians should be great stewards of the world that God has given to us. As Jerome tells our students at Camp Tallowood every year, Christians don't litter. We do not uh, take advantage of the world that God has given to us as a gift but even so, we can look at the world and see that in a lot of ways, it's in a lot of trouble. You see it in the natural disasters and the different things, the hurricanes and tornadoes. And I'm pretty sure in the Garden of Eden that there were no floods and, and there were no earthquakes there. That in fact, before the fall of humankind, the world was a much better and more pleasant place to live. But we live in a fallen world where we are subject to illnesses and sicknesses and disease and pains and accidents that God never really intended for us to experience. But perhaps out of that, we will look upward to Him. One of the ladies in our office was uh, looking at her computer screen this week and she, she saw... Uh, an advertisement for a cruise and she came running into our office and she said look there's an advertisement for a cruise if you pull this up on the internet and and we said that's great you know I mean I've been on a cruise before that's a, that's a lot of fun and she said no you need to see this this advertisement for the cruise has been sponsored by Netflix you know the group that uh, uh, sends out movies and and we said well, so what and she said no you need to see the movie that they're advertising it's the movie Titanic advertising for a <laughs> you know, a cruise. And see, I would think that would sort of work against the whole selling of tickets if you knew that the ship was going to sink. But what the scripture says, the kind of bad news is we live on a sinking ship. But the good news is that this ship is, is not the end of the story, that this world is not the end. Not only do we groan, not only does creation groan. He goes on to say in verse 26, the Holy Spirit groans when we're just 
at our wits end and don't even know how to pray, the Spirit of God who lives within us, who is the down payment of our inheritance, who is the proof and guarantee of our future resurrection, the first fruits, the first sign that there really is something better, this Holy Spirit within us begins to pray for us, he says, with, with groans that cannot be uttered. Does it help us to understand in a suffering world, a suffering people, that we serve the suffering God who sent His only Son to die for us, to enter into our pain so that He would be tempted in every way as we are, Yet, without sin, there's the hope. And he says, we are groaning and creation is groaning. But, but even as we groan, we wait, he says, with eager expectation. For what? For, for the revelation of the sons of God, for the children of God to be revealed. And then he makes this interesting statement for the redemption of our bodies. This is important. In a world that says, no, people just sort of are dissolved after life. This is what the Buddhists say. You're just sort of dissolved into uh, the eternal being. Or the Hindus say, well, no, you're actually reincarnated again and again and again until you reach some higher plane or you reach some lower plane. No, no, what the New Testament teaches is very different from that. It says in verse 18, His glory, God's glory, will not just be revealed in a, a city with streets of gold, with beautiful jewels and all of that. No, no. He says God's glory will be primarily revealed in us. And in verse 23, he says it will be the redemption of our bodies. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says we'll exchange these tents for real buildings. Even the idea in John chapter 14, those those mansions as we sing about it, those rooms as the NIV translates it, really is a word used in ancient Greek for a temporary place to stay until the real thing arrives. So to be absent from the body, the minute you and I die as Christians, we go to be with the Lord. Our, our spirits go to be with the Lord. But, but our bodies remain in waiting. We leave our bodies behind, don't we? So Paul describes this and teaches about this, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, to a Greek Roman culture that doesn't really believe in the resurrection of a body from the dead. And he says, of course, people can be raised from the dead. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have been raised. And we know that Jesus was raised. Over 500 people saw him. He appeared to the apostles and 500 others. And ultimately, to me, Paul says, so we know there is such a thing as resurrection. And he says, then people ask, verse 35 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so how will we be raised? What will our bodies be like? And then he, he gives the analogy of a seed that is planted in the ground. And he says, when this seed is planted in the ground, when you plant a tomato seed, it's hard to imagine that it will grow into a tomato plant with big, beautiful tomatoes. In the same way, our bodies here are just shadows of what our bodies will be there. Our bodies will be like Christ's body, like his glorified body. When we see glimpses of it in the transfiguration, Jesus shining like the sun, being in the presence of the Father. Moses comes back shining, but the the glory eventually fades. But Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, but our glory is an ever increasing glory. The closer we get to Jesus Christ, the more we are changed and transformed here. We're getting just some glimpses of the way it will be. Someday Jesus will call my name, one singer said. As days go by, I hope I don't stay the same. I want to get so close to Him that it's no big change on that day when Jesus 
calls my name. I want to be transformed by His glory to be made new. And this is not an illusory thing like David Copperfield, the magician, recently said, I found the fountain of youth on this island that I bought in the Bahamas. Fifty million, he buys four islands. He says one of them has the fountain of youth and if you drop a dead leaf in it, it turns green again. And if, if you drop a dying insect into it, it flies away alive. And it's an illusion. But the truth is, our fondest hopes... When the poet said, how I wish there were some place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door, never to be put on again. That's exactly the image the Bible uses. Heaven is a place where we leave behind the old tent and put on the new building. He says that's why we're groaning, because we know in our heart of hearts there's something better than the vitamins can supply, something better than our, our, our very important exercise can ultimately provide for us. We're planted like a seed, he says. And Johnny Erickson Tata, the quadriplegic vocalist, author, artist, such a gift to the body of Christ, says, imagine in my broken body is the seed from which will come the new me, and the new me will be better and brighter than I can possibly imagine. And she said, if I could look in a mirror in heaven, I w I'm sure I would recognize it was me. We know that people are called by name. It's not sort of this mass consciousness, but they're individuals with individual personalities. You will be you. You will be more you than you've ever been you. You will be the best you that you can possibly be when God recreates you. You without flaws. Imagine a world with no cancer, with a world with no Lou Gehrig's disease, with no MS. Imagine, imagine a world where people don't have heart disease, where there's no male pattern baldness. Imagine a world like that. A world where we are made brand new. That's the world that God promises. A world where we, where we eat and there are great images of feasts. To eat, you have to have a body. And one of my friends said to me, well, if I don't have something to do, it wouldn't be heaven to me. Well, the good news is Revelation 22 verse 3 says, there we will see God and we will serve God. And the images that God will set us free. Listen to these words. The, the creation is waiting for the liberation that comes from the children of God. What will happen when God sets His children, His redeemed, ransomed, restored children free in a new heaven and a new earth to accomplish all that God has always wanted? They surveyed a group of people recently and said, what what do you imagine heaven to be? And they said, oh, we imagine that heaven will be the place where we see Jesus. 47% said that'll be the best thing. 7% said the best thing will be to see my loved ones who've passed away. That sounds good to me. 3%, these are the philosophers said, there I will have my questions answered. Well, you really will. You will know as you are known, as God knows you, you will know. And I think it will be an ever upward progression of learning and we will continue to grow and to know. 5% said I want my pain and suffering to go away. 7% said, I want my sin nature to go away. That will be the best thing about heaven. Amen to that. 31% said, wouldn't it be great to live in a world where everything works according to God's plan? Where everything is in accord with His will. Imagine, we've never known that. All the years we've lived on earth, we've never known that. We get little glimpses. The very best moment in your life, when you did the very best thing you ever did and you were intending good and you just felt so good. That's just a shadow of what it will be like to always, forever do everything God wants you to do. And you will be new. I'm looking forward to a new heaven. I'm looking forward to a new earth. But imagine a new you and a new me to be made new, to be conformed completely to the image of God's Son, to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And as Paul says to the Philippian church, for our lowly bodies to be transformed
into God's glorious dream for us. We only dream of things like this. I, I heard about a farmer and his wife and their son and they, they went to a, a mall for the first time. They went into New York City and the mother went into a store shopping for clothes and she was just in awe of all that she saw. But the, the father and the son were standing outside and they were just looking around the mall and they saw this curious contraption, silver doors coming together and opening up in a little room. They saw an elevator and the son said, what is it, dad? And the dad said, I have no idea. And just then an older lady walked in with a cane and the doors opened and she stepped in and the doors closed and they watched the lights change. And then the lights changed as the elevator came back down and the doors opened and out walked this vivacious young woman. And the father looked at the son and said, Junior, quick, go get your mother. You know, just the idea that we would be made new is a, is a dream and a hope that all of us have. And I want you to understand just how great it will be to have a new body, to have a new life, to never grow old, to never experience all the, the pains and aches that we feel here, but to be new with God forever. Therefore, if any person is in Christ Jesus, that person, listen to this, already is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I, I can't wait to get to heaven, but I tell you what I can't wait for. I can't wait for all of heaven to break loose in our lives, in our church right now. For God to make His presence known in such a magnificent way that people are drawn to salvation and Christians grow to spiritual maturity and all of us become what God wants us to be on this upward progression. And here's what the Scripture says. Someday this mortal must put on immortality. Someday this corruptible must put on incorruption. And then will be brought to pass the saying which is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your sting oh grave where is your victory for the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ therefore my dear brothers and sisters Paul says stand firm be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain. If God is going to make us new, then every new day here is a new opportunity. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years. Imagine if you and I invest a day here doing something for God and it makes a difference for thousands of years in the lives of the people. And our job is not only to get to heaven, but to bring as many people with us as we can. And he says, we not only groan, but we wait with eager anticipation. And waiting is not passive in the Scripture. We're enlarged by our waiting. He says, we are waiting, we are groaning with the first pangs of childbirth. And the image is just as a mother gives way after her pain gives life to a brand new child and a brand new life. Our pain here, listen to what Paul says, our temporary, momentary sufferings in the present time are gaining for us an eternal weight of glory. That's what we're waiting for. And I love the story from Louisiana, the Episcopal uh, cemetery there where there's a 150 year old live oak tree and a solitary tombstone beneath it a grandmother said i want one word on my tombstone you know what it is waiting we are waiting to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord but the day will come when jesus christ returns in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and when he comes the dead in christ will be raised first and then 
You and I will be changed if we are alive when He comes. And the Bible says, so will we ever be with the Lord. Won't that be glory? Oh, that will be glory for me. When by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory. Be glory for me. Will you pray with me? Father, thank You for the promise of eternal life. Thank You for the glory that we have in Jesus. Fulfill all of our desires to do all that you want us to do, Lord, and make us more like Jesus until that day when we see Him and we will be like Him because we see Him as He is. Lord, we wait for that day with great hope. In Jesus' name, amen.